I want to begin by just talking about New Year's resolutions. Anybody here make a New Year's resolution already? A couple, all right. How many of you have kind of given up on New Year's resolutions? <laughs> I think I read about 40% of people make New Year's resolutions, and about 40% of the people don't make it. All right, but anyway, it was, a, it was a gallant effort. These are some of the things that are kind of popular that people make when talking about a New Year's resolution to lose weight, find a new job, change our money habits, exercise, try something new, get organized, manage stress, more family time, quit bad habits. All right, any of those look familiar? All right. So anyway, by the way, if you're ever looking for good exercise equipment, always go to garage sales in March. Everybody buys them for Christmas, and by March, they're hanging clothes on them, all right? So you can get a lot of good exercise equipment in March. But I want to give you Denny Huff, and I love Denny Huff, you know Denny Huff. But anyway, he has five New Year's resolutions guaranteed that you can keep, all right? So you might want to write these down. These are good. So these are ones that you can actually keep, all right? And so the five are take more naps, eat more chocolate, laugh more often, be around positive people, and gain three pounds, all right? So anyway, those are some ones you can tuck away, and I, I feel pretty good about your chances on those, all right? But anyway, it's kind of fun to talk about these New Year's resolutions. Well, today we start a brand new series that's going to take us all the way to Easter. It's going to be about a three-month-long series, and it's entitled, This Is Us. You know, we, I know we've been having a lot of new people coming, and so we're going to take time to talk about who we are as teachers, preachers, who we are in our missions, and who we are in our foundational beliefs. And so, again, we're going to cover these things, our story. So today I'm going to begin, kind of share my testimony. And over the next three weeks, we're going to hear from the other guys. They're going to share their story. And then we're going to talk about who we are in our missions giving and what our church is doing in the area of missions, and then kind of our core values. And so today, caricature, again, we're going to have each week, we're going to have a new caricature we're going to put up, and today is mine, all right? And I looked at it, and I thought, that's an old man. <laughs> and Brenda said, yeah, they got it pretty good there, all right? But anyway, so come next week. I'm not going to show you all of them, but each week, whoever's sharing their testimony, you're going to see a new one up there, and so we can laugh together. I know you're not laughing at me. We're laughing together, right? But anyway, so we're looking forward to that journey. Well, several years back, my wife and I used to love to go garage sale because you can find just about anything and everything at a garage sale and just love to interact with people. But I went to a one particular garage sale and I actually found my family tree, my family history. How crazy is that? I mean, I mean, out of nowhere, here is a picture of my family tree. And they only had it for sale for a quarter. And so I thought to myself, I told Brandon, I got to have that. I got to have that. That's my family tree. And here's what it looked like, all right? A, a tree with a bunch of nuts stuck to it. And, I, and Brenda goes, why? Why would you want that? She goes, that's going to the office. That's going to the office. So I got to add one more nut in there, all right? How many of you think that could be your family tree? I just, there's a lot of nutty people. I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, God must have loved common people because he made so many of us. You know, the truth is, all of us have some pretty crazy family trees, all right? And again, 
that's kind of amazing. So I want to begin by just sharing, as I'm talking about my life, my testimony, I want to begin by sharing the people that are most important to me. 45 years in the ministry, I want to begin with my wife, Brenda. You know, I want to say that the most important person other than Jesus Christ is my wife. You know, I know our kids are important, but one day our kids grow up and they move off. And she's the most important person. And I want to say without any hesitation, I would not be here today if it was not for her. You know, a lot of times the pastor's the one out in front and he's the one that people see. But trust me, without a great wife, you don't make it in life or in ministry at all. You know, in my 45 years in pastoring, she's never ever complained one time about anything in ministry. Never one time as she said, anything negative. As a matter of fact, she will say to me sometimes, hey, if we're going to go out and eat on Friday, let's go by the hospital. Let's go to that funeral, and then after the funeral, we'll go get something to eat. One night, I got a call in the middle of the night. It was about 2 a.m., and it was just one of those nights I was in a deep, deep sleep. And so the phone rang, and I was, I think I was half asleep, and I picked it up, and it was a police department in our area saying that someone who attends our church had a family member that committed suicide. And so I was talking to him on the phone. I thanked him for calling me. I hung up, and I laid back down. And Brenda gives me an elbow. She said, I think they actually want you to go. You have to get up. I mean, I was just in such a deep sleep, I would have went right back to sleep. I can't tell you how thankful I am for my wife. And again, she's really the rock that keeps everything going. Even last night, everything was chaos with my PowerPoint. I mean, it was midnight, and I couldn't get anything to copy. And so I go to her at midnight. She's lying in bed. I said, hey, I need a favor. It's above my pay grade. I don't know what I'm doing. And so the reason I have a PowerPoint today is because of my wife. But I just want to say, when it's all said and done, I mean, I care what people say about me, but can I tell you, the most important thing is what your family says about you, you know, when it's all said and done. The seven most important people in my life are my kids, our son Ryan and his wife Marin, our daughter Courtney, her husband Jason, our grandson Rhett, and we have one on the way, all right, one on the way in June. You know, again, and you can clap. I know people have said, I know why I'm so thankful we didn't kill our children when the grandkids came along, you know. So anyway, it is amazing. Grandchildren are really are amazing. But I love my family. You know, my family is just so amazing. When it's all said and done, what our family says about us really does matter. And so I appreciate probably the greatest sermon I've ever heard was from my son. Back in the days when we were running about 300 and I was the only full-time staff, I was at church every day, seven days a week. I was up here all the time. Brenda never complained. Maybe sometimes she wanted me out of the house. I don't know. But one night I went home for supper and after I ate, I said to the, the kids, I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go up to church for a few minutes. And my son, I don't know how he was, he was young. My son looked up at me and said, dad, we'll see you tomorrow. I said, no, I'm just, I'm going to run to church for a few minutes. I'll be right back. He said, we'll see you tomorrow. I mean, God spoke through him directly. And I knew that I was sacrificing my family for ministry. 
And I want to tell you, I had to get up to church. I don't know how many years ago that was. I apologized to the church. I apologized to my family. I said, I, I can't sacrifice my family for ministry. And I'm going to tell you, your family is more important than church. Church is important, but it's not more important than your family. And I hope that you build a strong family. Somebody came to one time and said, my only night to spend with my family is on Wednesday night. What should I do? I said, if that's truly your only night, you need to stay with your family. God does not want you to sacrifice your family for ministry. Our family has to have a top priority. Now, I did add a couple other people kind of in my inner ring there, and that's Brenda's parents there in the middle. They're sitting at Cracker Barrel, and I told her mom, I said, go up to him and grab his hand and look at me. And so she went up and kind of was flirting with him, and I got this picture. He didn't know what was going on, and she's laughing. And there's a lot of in-law jokes. How many of you know that? Most of them are mother-in-law jokes. I don't get that. But I can tell you, I got the greatest in-laws ever. They really are amazing. I don't know what they were thinking when they allowed their daughter to marry me. But anyway, they had a weak moment, and I'm, I'm glad they did. My story kind of goes back nine months before I was born. This is a picture of my parents. I don't share it very often, very seldom. I, I matter of fact, I didn't share a picture of my mom to just really a few years ago. But uh, this is my mom and dad, Robert Thomas Johnson, Glenda Mayfield Johnson. And they got married, and their heart was to begin a family, and their goal was to have three children. And so they began with twin daughters, Brenda and Linda. And then they had about six years later, they had a son named Randy. Their family was complete. They were only going to have three children. But about 20 months after Randy was born, I came along. I was not in their thoughts. I was not in their plans. But can I tell you, I am so thankful that they were a couple that did not believe in abortion. Even though I wasn't in my parents' plans, I was in God's plans. I believe, and I just want to say, and this isn't really a sermon, but I just want to say I believe life begins at conception. And I believe we need to protect those unborn children. So I'm thankful that my parents chose to keep me, all right? And so very, very thankful for them. This is the house that I grew up. Had a chance to kind of go up there not many years ago, and the house is still there. And so from kindergarten all the way through out of high school, this is the house where I grew up. A lot, a lot of great funny memories in this house. And the church I belonged to was the First Baptist Church of Berkeley. I was going there nine months before I was born, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church all the time. How many of you have ever just not wanted to go to church? Your parents drug you to church. And I've had people tell me, Pastor, I don't think we should drag our children. I, I, why not? I said, well, if we drag them to church, it might turn them off. I said, do you make them go to the doctor? I drag my kids to the doctor, not because they want to go, because they need to go. And one of the services that I was drugged to church that I didn't want to go to is a service where God spoke to me and I gave my life to Jesus. Why would you not want your kids to hear the gospel? Why would you not want your kids to be around hearing the word of God? And so I think it is important. So very thankful. And I could give, I mean, I could, I could spend weeks talking about the people that influenced my life in the church that I grow up, grew up in. One is Grandma Oster. She was the pastor's mother. We just called her Grandma Oster. I think she, she seemed like she was about 120 years old. 
She was over the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school department. She's, she's really old. She's over the fifth and sixth grade Sunday school department, and she had such a heart for those kids. She made a commitment. I found out later she made a commitment to try to see that every one of the children in her Sunday school department came to know Christ in the two years they were in her department. Every Sunday, Grandma Oster, every Sunday she'd raise her hand, and it, it was quivering a little bit. It was shaking. And every Sunday morning, Grandma Oster said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the two years I was in her department. Several years later, she passed away and her, her son, our pastor, asked me if I would share at her funeral. Wow. Guess what I shared? I stood over her casket. I raised a hand, I quivered just a little bit, and I quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What an impact she's made. And I just want to say, you're never too old to impact young people. Don't ever believe that somehow you're too old to be used by God. As long as you have breath, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The second person that really had an impact is, was my very first youth pastor, Dennis Stone. Now, this is a recent picture. He's older now. But Dennis actually was our youth pastor. We never had a youth pastor before. And Dennis began to do a home Bible study. And every week he met with just three of us. Now again, it didn't seem like for most people they would say Dennis wasn't very successful. But every week, week after week after week, he met with three of us and poured his life into us. And can I tell you part of the reason I'm here today is because he took time to disciple and to invest in my life. And even though the world may look at him and say he wasn't much of a youth pastor, everything that God is using me was indirectly a result of him investing in my life. Always appreciate. And then when I was 13 years old, my mother passed away. She was 43. I remember one morning she got up to use the restroom. Our bedroom was just to the side of the restroom. And I heard my dad, a lot of commotion going on. And we realized my mom got up that day to go to the restroom and she just collapsed and she died. I don't ever remember telling my mom that I loved her. I guess I believe she's always going to be there. I don't know. But I, never, I don't remember ever telling her that I love her. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell her that I love her. I appreciate all she invested in me. So this is actually her headstone. It's in uh, Wentzville, Missouri. She was born in February 1927, passed away May 2nd, 1970. And about a year to the date, my niece, three years old, died of a brain tumor, and we buried her right next to my mom. Our family's experienced a lot of loss, a lot of suffering. My sister said to me one time, why does everything happen to us? I think everybody feels that because life is hard. I quote Job a lot, man's days are short and full of trouble, and life really is difficult. Well, my dad remarried, and we moved down to Cedar Hill, and I went to Northwest High School or junior high. I was in the ninth grade. So this is actually my school picture, middle left there, of the freshman class, 1972. And some reason, when we moved down there, 
I don't know why, but I got up to give a report. I've shared this many times, and I, I, I've never had a fear of being up in front of people. But all of a sudden, man, I started shaking, and everyone was laughing. I mean, I developed such a phobia. I literally could not sit at my desk and read one sentence without shaking and quivering. I was pathetic. I was the laughing stock of the freshman class. I was probably voted the most likely to never make it in life. I literally thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown in ninth grade. Well, after a year, we moved back to Berkeley, and I graduated from Berkeley High School. I got invited. I didn't want anyone to know that I was a paranoid. And I told God many times, I said, God, I don't care what I do in life as long as I don't have to dress up and get in front of people. I told God that a lot. I said, I don't care what I do. I do not want to get up in front of people. I don't. Went through high school, and I just want to say, I got involved in drinking, drugs. I got involved in kind of the, the in-group in high school in the worldly sense. And so Sunday, I went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I did everything in the world. And I, I was an influence in high school, but not for the Lord. It was more for the other side to my shame. Can I tell you, nobody in high school would have known that I was a believer because I certainly did not live like it at all. I was not a good influence. And then after I graduated from high school, got the chance to go down to Glorietta, New Mexico to, to a summer camp. It was a week-long camp. And this is actually a picture of, I think they called it Texas Hall back then, but they had a little old man named Chester Swore who was sharing all week. He, was, he had to be 90s. I mean, he seemed really old. But that week, God spoke through that little old man. And I sat on the very last row in Texas Hall. It was really long, and I was on the very back row. How many of you know God can find you wherever you are? <laughs> and I don't even remember what he preached that night, but I remember when they were singing the invitation, wherever he leads, I'll go. Because all week I was saying, God, I'm just so tired of living a double life. I'm one way at church, and then when I'm out away from church, man, I'm doing everything everybody's doing. If you're really real, show yourself. All week, man, I was waiting for God to write a message in the sky. I was waiting for him to drop a boulder so I could see it with a note. But nothing. All week, nothing. But that last night when they were singing, wherever he leads, I'll go. I mean, God showed up, and he said to me, can you honestly say, Wherever I lead, you're willing to go. And I wanted to say no. But that night, I wrestled with God. I still remember getting out and walking down the aisle. Man, rivers were just coming down my face. I did not want to do wherever he led. And one day, I think God, the Father said to God, the Son, let's have a little fun. Let's call Roger into ministry. Because that, that verse in 1 Corinthians where it says God chooses the opposites and the foolish and the things that are despised by the world, I'm that guy. If you want to know who is the least likely person on the planet to ever get up and speak, it would be me. Can I tell you when people tell me, I'm just so nervous, I don't know if, trust me, I understand. I used to get diarrhea. Can I say that in church? I used to get diarrhea. I used to get sick. I, I, I thought I was going to pass out when I used to get up. I mean, pathetic. 
But God has never let me forget that he is able. I have nothing to boast about. People ask me all the time, man, who's the best teacher and preacher there at Villa Ridge? I said, well, I'm the least. We have some of the most incredible Bible teachers, preachers anywhere on the planet right here. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm definitely not the most gifted person. I'm probably the most unlikely person to ever stand in front of anybody. But I'm here today because of the faithfulness of Jesus. And so this is where I kind of surrendered my life to God, went back to church, and then I had the the opportunity to go to West Yellowstone, Montana to be a summer missionary. I didn't even know what a missionary was. I mean, I grew up in church, and, and we took a van ride. There were six of us from our church that took a van ride to West Yellowstone, Montana, and when we got out of the van, we were summer missionaries. No training. I guess the van ride was our training. I don't know what that was. But we got off, and everybody in town goes, hey, you must be the summer missionaries. And so they were trying to decide because we had to work through the week, and then we did ministry around Yellowstone National Park. And so they were taking us around. They took us through the the hotel there. It was the Best Western. And they took us down into the laundry room. And, man, you talk about a hellhole. I mean, these guys were mean and ugly, and, and they looked tough. They were cursing. They were smoking. I mean, they, I said, God, I don't care where I work in the town. Just not down in the laundry room. I'm too valuable to waste. <laughs> Me and another guy were down in the laundry room. The main guy there had real long hair, big, strong guy. I mean, he was, he was mean. And I remember one day he came up to me and said, what does the Bible say about smoking pot? I said, well, let me find that verse. It's somewhere right over here. I didn't have a verse. I just shared my heart. See, I come out of a drug culture. I can understand people that are into drugs. And I, I, mean, I lived that life for a few years. And he said to me, I may get saved, but it's going to be at the end of the summer because I came up here to have fun. See, Satan convinces people you can't really have fun if you're a Christian. But about a week later, Andy came to me with tears in his eyes and said, I need to talk. So we walked outside of town. This is the actual field. We called it the garden. It was just a field by the airport. There were some stumps out here. So Andy and I walked out here one evening after work. We sat down and I I shared the gospel with Andy. And even though he said it, he didn't want to do anything to the end of the summer because he wanted to have a party time. Out here in this field that we call the garden, Andy knelt down in these weeds and he invited Jesus into his life. Man, you talk about a turnaround. Here was a guy that was as mean as the devil. And all of a sudden, he got full of the Spirit and he was telling everybody in the hotel about Jesus. The, the, the manager said, if you don't quit telling people about Jesus, we're going to have to let you go. But he kept telling people. You know, Andy got so on fire for God, he, he actually married one of the, the, late, the gals, one of the youth from our church that went up there. He actually married her. They went down to Waco, Texas to go to school, went into ministry. He was so excited about God. He, he grew up... Uh, he didn't grow up in church, so he didn't know how you were supposed to act. He thought everybody was excited at church. He actually had one of the deacons tell him, actually had a deacon tell him, 
don't worry, you'll, you'll get over it. That's pathetic. But you're, you, you know, you, you, you got to get over that excitement. By love, Andy. But anyway, and so we did a musical there. This is a, an actual picture. It's kind of torn, and I apologize. It probably would have been good if that tour part was all the way off. But anyway, that's me there in the bib overalls. And we had a musical. So there was about eight, 15 to 20 college students from all over the U.S., and we're going to do a musical. Now, if you think I can't speak, I certainly cannot sing at all. And so we're doing a musical. I, they didn't tell me that when I went up there. But all the summer missionaries had to participate. And I'm a, this is going to be kind of a surprise, but they had one leading part, and I got it. What are the chances? I mean, one leading part, and I got it. To the musical Light Shine. Now, if you've ever looked at the musical Light Shine, the main character is a mime. Doesn't talk, doesn't sing. So they said to themselves, who can we do without with their speaking and singing? Roger. I was the mime. I never got to talk, never got to sing. And I remember one time we were doing it all around West Yellowstone. I remember one time we did it, a lady kind of made a beeline up to me. And I, I didn't talk, didn't sing, but she made a beeline up to me. And she said, I believe God is going to call you into ministry. I said, you know, the devil talks to you. You got to be careful. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even say anything. I mean, she came up to me and just said, I have a feeling. God just seemed to tell me that he's going to use you in ministry. I said, well, I appreciate it. We'll see. I mean, I want maybe a custodian at the church. I didn't know. But I'm so thankful. By the way, I did get a haircut before I went up there because I wanted to look nice. My hair was really long in school, all right? So pretty long there. This is the, my daughter always wanted to see me with a picture of me with long hair. That's the only one I can find. But anyway. And so when we came back from West Yellowstone, Montana, we were up there for the summer and just so many great memories. While we were there, our youth pastor resigned, our pastor resigned. And so when I came back, they asked me, would you like to be the youth pastor until we can find one? I said, sounds good to me. And so I started meeting with the youth. I also did children's church. By the way, every pastor ought to do children's church for two years. It's a baptism of fire. How many of you know children are very transparent, very real? I mean, right in the middle of your sharing, they'll raise their hand. I'm bored. Is this about over? They say what you all think. I've had some of the craziest things. They'll raise their hand right in the middle of my talk. I, I think I've shared with it. One girl said, I know why girls don't like you. I mean, I'm right in the middle of talking about Jesus. Can we stay focused, people? <laughs> I love kids. Kids are amazing. Everybody needs to work in children's church. It'll spice up your life a lot. About two years later, one of our families moved out to a little town called Gerald out here in Franklin County. And I went out to do supply preaching because they couldn't find anybody to come out there. And I was probably 
Somebody says, were you at the top of the list? I was at the top of the list if you turn the list upside down. I mean, I was probably at the bottom. But they called me and asked me to come out and speak. And they had about 20 to 25 people out there. And this was First Baptist, Gerald. This building is no longer here, but this was the actual building. The education building was right behind it. It was a single wide mobile home that the only thing holding you up in 50% of the mobile home was carpet. I mean, the floors were out. So that's where I went. I got, they actually called me as pastor. 21 years old. I had two years of children's church. They called me as pastor. And they said, we, got, we pay you $325 a month. Now, they weren't asking me to come full time, but God said, I want you to go full time. Can I tell you, almost everybody I know said, you'll never make it. There is no way you can make it on 325 a month. It's impossible. Now, by the way, their yearly budget was 10000 That was their yearly budget. Our weekly budget is 24000 Their yearly budget was 10000 So they were giving me a pretty good chunk of the, of the offering. And so I went there. I did eat a lot of peanut butter and, and jelly. I just want to be honest. I ate a lot of crackers. I was single at the time. I think I told you guys, my sister came down to visit me when they were going home. My nephew was crying. And he said, what are you crying about? Uncle Roger's poor. Uncle Roger's poor. I didn't know it. I mean, people were giving me furniture. I mean, stuff they couldn't sell on the garage sale, they gave to the preacher. I had the craziest house, the mix and match. And I, but I'm colorblind. It all looked good to me. I was happy. I was uh, in a penthouse above the auto parts store. It was three storage rooms they made into an apartment. I thought I was somebody. And so that's where I started. And I can tell you, our church struggled financially. Even though we only had a $10,000 a year budget, we weren't making budget. And so I, I, I got with the leaders of the church. I said, I said guys, I, I really believe, based on the Bible, if we're going to receive, we have to give. The Bible says if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. I said, I know this makes no sense at all, but I think we need to up our mission giving. And they all agreed because it was only my salary at stake. But can I tell you that little church voted to give more to missions, even though we didn't have the money. Honest truth, after we voted to give more to missions, the very next week, three couples came to church that were all tithers. God took this little church that was struggling to make it day in, day out. And within a few years, we were able to build the building where they're currently at right now, right on Highway 50. Amazing, amazing group of people. Somebody said, what's your greatest memory from Gerald? I can tell you without a doubt, the greatest thing I got out of pastoring this church is my wife. She was one of seven people that voted for me in a call to pastor. There was only seven. I just want to tell you, sometimes God's direction doesn't make sense. But that's why I started. For seven years, God took that little church. We were averaging somewhere in the 130s when I left. 
and he called me to a church up in North County, Fairview Baptist Church. This is a more recent picture. Obviously, all the windows are knocked out, but it was a really a beautiful building back in the day. So I, we were there from 86 to 94. It was in a very transitional community. But I want to tell you, these people love Jesus. They poured their heart into the community, into the youth, to the children. Many of them came from very tough homes, but they never questioned giving all the love that they had for the community. Amazing church. Love this church. And so we were there for eight years. And then in 1994, we were called to come to this church. Now, I want to be honest. People said to me, don't go to that church. They're hard on preachers. Every church is hard on preachers because preachers are hard-headed. Bad people say, don't. And we took a $10,000 pay cut to come here. Can I tell you, my wife did not marry me for money. I want to go on record as saying, I don't know what her dad was thinking when he let his daughter marry me. But she never complained. Never once complained. So we came here. Back in 1994, we were struggling to meet budget. But slowly, we began to get more involved in missions and to give more out to missions. And I found in my life that God does not bless a church that hoards and keeps. He blesses a church that gives. And sometimes you say, oh, I don't know if we can afford to give to missions. You can't afford not to. Because it's through giving that we receive. I cannot tell you how blessed I am to be a part of this church. Have some of the greatest teaching, preaching pastors anywhere on the planet. I mean, I am so blessed. And I say the greatness about our church has nothing to do with who's up here preaching on Sunday, our leading worship. The greatness of our church is the people. I drive by, I'll see people... If I can just brag on Linda and Savetta, they're, they're our landscape people over the last couple of years. I think they're in their 70s. I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that, but they're in their 70s. I drive by here on a Friday night. They're dragging hoses across the parking lot to water so that we could enjoy the landscape. I hear people taking food to somebody's house and people doing this and people doing that and people serving God behind the scenes. The greatness of our church is people that are willing to serve Jesus. They're never going to get their name in a bulletin, but they're serving because they love God. That's the greatness of our church. The core of people who built this building back from about 88 to 93, there was about 60 people coming when they built this building. Can you imagine? Everybody told them they're crazy. But because they were willing to step out and build this building... God has blessed this church because of the faith of those people. Many of them are gone now. Matter of fact, is anybody here that was here from 88 to 93? Anybody here part of that building process? So Bill, all right, here's Savetta right here. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk about you. I didn't know you were right there. <laughs> but anyway, can I just say, people ask me about Bill Ridge. Honestly, I say... It's the faith of these people that gave all they had. I mean, they poured their life and soul into this building. Crazy. God is blessing it. Can I tell you, we're not in the best location. 
I think when people drive by, they say, what in the heck is going on? I don't know what's going on up there, but it has to be God. And that really is true. And so I could give you, I could talk for a long time about the memories I have for the 29 years that we've been here. My goodness, man, just so many memories flood my mind. But I, I, I've gone through a couple times of burnout. There were times that I really got discouraged, not because of anything happening in the church. I just got burnt out. Have you ever just been burnt out in life? I mean, I've, I've been down, man. If there would have been a pulpit committee come by that wanted me, I probably would have left. But nobody wanted me. And I'm thankful. First time I had lunch with Bob about six years ago, Bob was down in the basement. I was down in the basement. We were both digging holes down in the basement. Had lunch together. I know Norm had a difficult situation that he came from. Most of, the, most of our staff has been kicked to the curb, been put down, beat down. I don't know who it was that said, never trust a preacher that doesn't limp. I want to tell you, if you haven't been beat up, burnt out, but somehow the grace of God gets us through. I can't tell you enough of how much I respect our preaching, teaching team, and our entire staff. We have a staff. I mean, I don't care who they are. Everyone's willing to help whenever needed. Behind the scenes. When people ask about Bill Ridge, man, I, I just can't say enough about our people. The greatness of our church is the people that are willing to serve God when nobody's around and they do ministry. It's just so amazing. Well, about six years ago, uh, we were praying. We got our debt paid off on the gym down there. Said, I, I don't want to build any more buildings. And God began to open doors to open up different campuses. And I want to tell you, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I am, I am the least likely person to pastor. I am the least likely person to start a, a, a campus. But God began to open doors. And today, we have six different campuses. In six years, God has opened six different campuses that are so different. They are so completely different. Chuck called me from Gerald about three weeks ago. He called me in the afternoon. He couldn't even talk. He was just crying. He goes, Roger, I, 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 I just can't, I can't explain. I don't know what God is doing. They baptized 10, 10 the first Sunday in December. He goes, I just don't want to mess it up. I said, as long as you feel that way, you're not going to mess it up. I'm telling you, our campuses are so different. But I get reports every week of, what, of God doing stuff that only God can do. The most recent came a few weeks ago. This will be our campus, our seventh campus, starting next week. I think I've shared the story with you guys a little last week. About a month ago, on a Saturday morning, got a call from Keith Oltman. Keith and I have become good friends over the years, doing a lot of funerals. By the way, we have a lot of jokes about the funeral, uh, the undertaker, and the pastor. We, we laugh a lot and tell jokes together. But he called me on a Saturday morning out of nowhere. And he just said, hey, I was talking to my good friend who's in the Methodist church, and they're getting ready to close. And I, I encouraged them to give their church to you guys. Now, whenever a Catholic talks to a Methodist, 
and tells the Methodist to give the building to a Baptist, <laughs> that's God. How do, you, how do you write that up as a, as a plan? And we weren't even looking to do anything. Somebody says, how do you strategize? I don't. I just picked up the phone. Can I tell you, when God works, there is no way to explain it. There's no way. There is no way to put on paper. I know somebody at the state office, they want, they want to put a formula down that every church can use. I have no formula. I honestly have no formula. How do you explain how God does it? I want to close with this. You know, a few years back, there's a little guy sitting probably right around where Lorna is there. I was done with the 8 o'clock service, you know, and I was walking out, and there was a little bitty guy, maybe three years old, sitting on his grandfather's lap. And so I'm pre- you know, I preach my heart out. I'm walking out. This little guy, three years old, looks up at me and says, I could do that. <laughs> and have you ever had God speak through a child? I mean, God was all over me, and I, I knelt down by that kid. Man, I had a tear in my eye. I said, buddy, trust me. You certainly can. If God can use me. By the way, Balaam's donkey is not the last donkey God has spoken through. <laughs> King James has a different word, but I'm not going to use it. I think there's been some donkeys in the pulpit, one of them. I hope when you hear my testimony, I hope all of you say, I could do that. Man, I could surrender to God. God's going to ask you to do something that's out of your comfort zone because he wants you to step out of what you can do into what he can do. I want to ask you, as we think about 2024, I, honestly, I have no idea what God wants to do. I have no idea. Brenda went to a garage sale one time. I think I've shared this, and they somehow got on to church, and they the lady asked Brenda, where do you go to church? She goes, I go to Villa Ridge. And the person said, isn't that the church with the crazy pastor? <laughs> and she said, yes, it is. And then they just kept shopping. <laughs> but I wonder what would happen in 2024 if all of us here today just surrender to God. I don't even know what that looks like. I'm not asking you to be a better church member. I'm not asking you to be a better Baptist. I'm just asking you to surrender to God. Only God knows what we could see in 2024 if we would just give ourselves afresh and new to Him. I want to ask you today to consider before today's over just to build an altar and just give your life to God. Many of you probably already know where God wants you to serve and maybe you've been resisting it. But I just want to encourage you to just surrender to God.